Hello everybody and happy Thursday to you and welcome to the Witty Writer Show. I have been so excited for weeks because we have the amazing top literary agent Mark Gottlieb from Trident Media with us today. Hello Mark. Hey, good to be back. How are you doing? How's everyone doing? Fantastic. And Mark, I've got to tell you, we've had so much amazing feedback from every single show we've done together. Um, but because we get so many questions, um, and unfortunately, I don't know whether you've noticed this, we tend to get a lot of questions right towards the end. <laughs> so we can't always get to them, unfortunately. Everyone decides they're like not shy anymore toward that point, And then it's too late, you know, it's over. <laughs> Wish we could just do the questions first. Well, and that's what we're going to do today. I'm super excited. We are live here on Facebook and we're live on YouTube. So if you've got any questions, please put them in the comments so we can see them. Um, I'm still not sure whether questions from Facebook, uh, sorry, from YouTube live actually pop up here. I'm not sure. But to be on the safe side, my peeps, um, if you want your question answered, um, put them on both. <laughs> Just be on the safe side. Do it in the YouTube live and the Facebook live. So I we will definitely see them then. We've already got lots of people popping up and saying hello. So thank you for that. And if you do have any burning questions you want to know, um, please put them in the, uh, in the questions in the comments because then Mark and I can answer them for you. Um, and don't be shy. Don't be shy. Just put them up. Because you can guarantee that if you're thinking it, lots of other people are thinking the same thing or wanting to know the same thing. So don't be embarrassed. There is no silly questions. Every question is important if it's important to you. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> oh, hope you're okay. I choked on my own spit. How did that happen? <coughs> because i'm talking too quick i'm getting all a lot of people are back they're saying hello uh they are they are let's pop them on and say hello Vikram already has a question too i see but yeah they, they do they do okay we got james who's joined us he says hello beth and mark hello james if you've got any questions pop them in the comments uh we've also got heather she says hi to you both from Gemma and i hello 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 we've also got stephanie nietzsche she says, hello, Beth and Mark. She's also in New York as well. We've also got Adam. He says, I'm here. Welcome, Adam. He's a new viewer and participant. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, and we've also got Vikram. And he says, hey, Mark, thank you so much for your time. After submitting a query letter, is there anything a writer can do to bolster his or her chances of a second book? That's a very good first question. Uh, you know, um, I would say just initially making sure the query letter is as appealing as possible. And um, if someone requested the letter, you know, I think it's reasonable then to follow up with them, you know, every couple of weeks or so. Um, but yeah, getting getting the letter in as great a shape as possible is, is the best chance. Now, I'm going to ask a follow up question to that because I do get asked it a lot. If an author gets picked up by a literary agent and a publisher and they do continue to write more books, how important is it for authors when they're then querying their second or third book or fourth book to include information about their previous books, how well it's done, what sort of ratings they've had? Should they include that sort of information in their next query letter? Well, at that point, the author is... Um you know, probably under contract with the publisher if they're now with an agent and a publisher. And the publisher has what's called an option on the author's next book. And typically, if it's fiction, the option is on the next book-length work of fiction, either in the series or uh, could just be open-ended, could be the author's next book-length fiction. If it's nonfiction, it's usually on a the same or similar subject matter, or they might ask, you know, just author's next book length work of nonfiction. So naturally the thing you would do is go back to the publisher who published your first book, offer them the opportunity of 
basically it amounts to it's as worthless as a, like of giving them a f opportunity for a first look or it's almost like a professional courtesy but they have time to sit on it to consider and decide whether or not to make an offer and if they make an offer then the author can decide whether they want to stay with the publisher or not and if they pass on the publisher's offer they can go out into the marketplace and explore other opportunities and at that point yes they should then mention their previously published work especially they should mention if the book did really well um in instances like that, we try to say to the publisher that, um, you know, if the author wants to go out into the world and explore other opportunities, we say to the publisher, you're welcome to keep your offer on the table if you like, but we'd like to explore other opportunities. And sometimes, you know, in light of that, that the publisher will increase their offer. And other times they just, you know, wait and see if the author will come around to working with them. Fantastic. And what about from a self-published author's point of view? Because obviously we do have a lot of um, our, our participants and viewers who are self-published. If they've self-published a book um, or books and they want to then query for their newest novel, should they include their, their facts and figures of how well their previous work has done? Uh, so if an, if an author has, uh, yeah, previously published work, self-published work, definitely if the sales numbers are strong, they should really mention that strong in the eyes of publishers probably would be at least 10 or 15,000 copies sold per book. Ideally, especially if it was at a low price, you know, a lot of eBooks are priced very low, um, like 50,000 copies. If it was, a, if we're talking like a 99 cent or two or three dollar ebook um and um yeah to include those figures because the publisher will inevitably ask um if the you know those numbers aren't there if that's not the case then it's a matter of the author probably either not mentioning that previously self-published work or a lot of authors they they want to try a pen name or other things and um, sometimes it's hard to do because with the internet, like, you know, people eventually put two and two together. Everyone figured out Nora Roberts was, uh, you know, she has a thriller writer J named J.D. Robe. But I think she made that, you know, readily known in, in like her author bios. Um, so, yeah, it can be. J.K. Rowling, sorry, J.K. Rowling did a similar thing as well, didn't she? Right, when she wanted to start writing adult books. Yeah, I think something McGrath. Mm-hmm. Something like that. But And she kept it quiet for a while, and then she sort of said, yeah, okay, that is me. I think somebody guessed it, and she's like, yeah, okay, it's me. Oh, my gosh. My fiancé and I, we watched the new Harry Potter documentary on HBO, and then it's like she went down this Harry Potter hole of, like, she had to – rewatch every movie there's eight of them and then she <laughs> reread every book and then we went to the harry potter store in new york city and it was like watching a kid in the candy store i would turn would turn around to see where she was and she had just gone to another part of the store you know it happened three times at least <laughs> i can't say nothing because me and my daughters are harry potter mad because uh, I read read them the Harry Potter series when they, when they all started coming out and everything, um, and then I became as as addicted as the kids. <laughs> oh, God. It, was, it was the most amazing thing because <laughs> I always remember as a kid growing up, the parents reading to you, and you would it was to to help the kids to bed, and then the parents would fall asleep after them or tuck them in. With Harry Potter, it was like the kids just wanted to keep the story going, and the parents were the ones that were getting tired. <laughs> I would say to my kids, just one more chapter. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, we've got some more questions. So thank you for answering that. That is super, super brilliant. Um, we've got Travis. Travis says, hi, Mark. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I'm currently seeking representation for my first book. And I want to ask for writers uh, for writers submitting a debut novel novel who might have had a lot of direct connections to agents. Do you have any tips for establishing a personal connection in the query letter 
outside of researching the agent's tastes via their bio, publishers marketplace and interviews, etc. That oh, is a very is, good question. This is great we're doing this because we get to everyone's burning questions and I know. Um, very well thought out. Um, you know, I think with regard to that, a lot of authors feel like, and it's a human thing too, right? To want to establish a personal connection with someone. Um, you know, we're social creatures in, as human beings. Um, but I think, you know, in my line of work, like the work will always speak for itself. If the meat and potatoes of the story sounds interesting and it's well-written, then it's enough to win the day. You know, you really don't need anything else more than that. A lot of writers, I think, because they hear uh, a, a lot of agents who are really um, kind of high on themselves um, talk, they think, oh my gosh, this person has a massive ego. Well, I need to stroke their ego to get into their good graces. And in fact, I think that adds to the problem for most agents and, you know, takes away from what's most important, which is the writing, the quality of the work, the storytelling. So when I get a query letter that says, you know, oh, I'm submitting this to you because I admire your work or, you know, I'm such a fan of your clients or whatever. To me, it's very kind, but it's no, it's just noise. And I go, I skip that and I go right to the part where they're telling me who they are as writers and what their story is about. Cause that's all that matters to me. Um, I don't want to read that stuff because I don't, I don't want to have a really inflated ego. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to make my, my ego much smaller. So, um, and frankly, I don't know if a writer really, they should ask themselves if they want to work with an agent who um, needs to hear that. Yeah. I, and we've, we've touched on this before, haven't we? At the end of the day, there are many different areas that are our first impression as, a, as an author. So, you know, a query letter is a first impression of us and the first impression of our books. So it's super important to, to have, I feel, a really good hook to grab the agent's attention. Oh, that's all it, that's all it takes, really. I mean, yeah. you don't need um, all the kinds of fireworks or fire show on stage, you know, just, just needs to be good work and yeah. sound enticing in and of itself. Um, you know, it obviously helps if you have a referral sometimes, like, you know, if it's walked in by another client, that's another matter. Some, you know, if that's what the author meant by establishing a personal connection, but otherwise good writing will always win the day. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to sell your story. That's the thing, isn't it? You've got to sell it. I always say to my clients that I work with, imagine, imagine your, your book description and your hook as a movie trailer, because, you know, these big production companies spend thousands, well, millions and millions and millions researching what will hook somebody to watch their movie. And, mm -hmm. and these movie trailers are meant to literally sell that story. So I always say to my clients, look at, you know, movies that are similar in genre to your book and see how that was marketed, you know, because you get the dramatic feel, you get the anticipation. And that's what you want to try and, I feel, put in a query letter to intrigue the agent like you enough to think, oh, this sounds good. I really would like to read the first three chapters of this. That's all the magic in the sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Let's pick another question. I'm trying to keep up with them and make sure I get the right ones. Here. Oh, yeah. A lot of questions. <laughs> okay. I've read. Right. Okay. I've done that one. This right. One, I, think. I think Vikram's next. He's got a question. He says, have you ever passed on a query letter about a book that went on to become successful? What about that query letter that made you second guess pursuing it? That's oh, a good one because I bet every agent who's been in the job a number of years has been in this situation. That only happened once. Um, I was very conflicted over the book. Um, there's this book by a comic book artist. He goes by the name of The Awkward Yeti. 
um, he was really popular in the webtoon scene, especially early on as like webtoons and tapas was getting itself established in the webtoon space. So I saw he had a really big audience and he reached out to me. I guess he had seen some of the work I was doing in the graphic novel space. And he wanted to do a book called, um, I think it was called like The Head and the Heart. And basically it's a graphic novel book for kind of mixes health and humor and goes into how uh, sometimes the heart feels one way, but the mind feels another and vice versa and the kind of tete-a-tete that they have. Um, so you actually see this cute little heart, looks like a little organ with arms and legs and eyes and same thing with the brain. And um, the art style was very like kind of rudimentary, like befitting of Webtoon style. I didn't really know very many publishers that were in that space. And um, frankly, I mean, the art style, it appealed to me, but I, I didn't, publishers hadn't really woken up to graphic novels, especially in the adult space. They haven't in a really big or meaningful way. So I didn't really see very many places where the book could live. Anyway, long story short, Andrews McNeil picked up the book. They published it. It became a New York Times bestseller. Um, in the comic book section, anyway, of the New York Times list for whatever that's worth. And, um, you know, I think his books have probably been successful since then. You know, he's a big name. You know, I, I still kind of beat myself up for not having, um, you know, taken it on. I was very conflicted about what to do. But yeah. I definitely would have sold it to Andrews McNeil because the art really fit their style. It's crazy, isn't it, how some sometimes an author or a book will just all of a sudden just sneak onto the market and just blow it up. Because you can't always predict it, can you? You can't. It's like it's like going to the casino or, or anything like that. It's um, that's the fortuitousness of it and it's part of what makes like the work so exciting and magical because like yeah. you never know what could happen. Yeah, and, and one book can literally change the whole market. I mean, you know, you think about there were books that my children used to read, like The Worst Witch, um, which was popular, you know, when they were young, but it wasn't big. It wasn't a big thing. So there, there was a market for, you know, witches and wizards and stuff like that. But then when J.K. Rowling came out with Harry Potter, it just blew up. Um, it... And, and it literally changed the whole market. Oh, it's that tide that just lifts all the boats. It was the same thing with Fifty Shades of Grey or yeah. Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. You know, when books like that came out, it just made the industry so successful as a whole because people were reading voraciously, buying books, and then publishers were trying to publish into similar spaces. Every time that happens, it's so good for the industry as a whole. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you just can't predict it. If only we had a magic ball. <laughs> okay, we've got Heather's next with her questions. Um, she says, hello again. Hello, Heather. Thank you for joining us again. It is, um, is it best to query one agent and publisher at a time with the chance the work is requested or is that too slow a process? I've been asked this a lot because... Mm -hmm. That there are some agents that want to know if they're the only person that they that's being queried, and yet there are other agents that I know of who are quite happy that authors are actually you know applying to multitude of, of, of agents and you know weighing up their options. So how what do you think about that? You know, I have a couple of colleagues who have, it's called asking for an exclusive, and basically the the agent wants to sit on the would otherwise sit on a manuscript, but if they usually say in exchange for having an exclusive, they'll read it as quickly as they can and get back to them. But it doesn't necessarily guarantee that, right? Um, I've never seen the sense in asking for an exclusive of, of an author. I always assume people are just querying widely. And I feel like if I ask or insist on an exclusive, it kind of like precludes me from working with a lot of people. So I would just, people much rather feel they want to work with me than have to work with me. Um, but what I always try and do is read as quickly as I can, express my level of interest that way and in, in getting back to people soon. And then hopefully they want, you know, to work together. I think if you go that way, kind of working your way down a list one agent at a time and 
giving an exclusive like that, it can take a long time. And um, you, you have much better chances if they're like different people vying for your attention. It would be like if you're using a dating app and, you know, they only showed you one person at a time a week or a month. And they were like, you know, you have to sit on this and think about it. You'd, you'd think, no, I want to keep swiping, you know, to the left. And um, so, yeah, I think uh, authors will be better off if they have a lot of variety and a lot of people like vying for their attention. Yeah. See, I always, I always, my business brain is always, always there. And I always think to myself, you know, at the end of the day, mo you know, most, well, all writers and authors are basically self-employed. You're, you're running your own business. You know, you're in charge of your own business and your own future. So as a business person, as well as an author, you know, your best bet is best pr business practice is to give yourself the best options available and and try and um, you know find the right fit, isn't it? Diversify, diversify, diversify your portfolio, like every aspect of business and life. It's the same with that. It's no different than applying for schools. A lot of my friends wanted to apply for their dream school early action, and a lot of them were really smart. I mean, they could have gotten into multiple Ivy League schools, and yet they kind of like precluded themselves from exploring their other options. And uh, I mean, on the one hand, I was happy for them if they knew what they wanted and they had their mind made up. On the other hand, it's nice to have options in life. Um, with that being said, I think maybe authors want to start with like a top list of agents they want to work with and kind yeah. of work their way down the list. But yeah 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 and do your research people do your research if you want to just quickly if if you guys want to find legitimate and and well-respected literary agents and publishing companies um then do go to publishers marketplace and query tracker those are the two best places that i've discovered that you can find legitimate people in the business because there are so many small publishing companies and uh very small time agents who who haven't got very good reputations. So be careful and do your research. Um, before we go to the next question on here, I'm going to give you a question that was left over from our last show. Um, it says, is a query letter okay to be half a page? Hook, word count, a genre, five lines of what the book's about, and two lines about the writer. Is that enough? Oh, well, first of all, thank you. It's very kind of you to have kept track of the questions from the last show. I'm efficient. <laughs> um, everyone appreciates it, I'm sure. they. Uh, but, you know, with the query letter, I think no more than a page. And even if it's only half a page, that's fine. But, the again, what I think goes into a good query letter is the hook up front, a couple of body paragraphs describing the book's plot details you know, without too many major spoilers. And then a one paragraph author bio of relevant writing experience, writing credentials. Pretty simple and straightforward. And yeah, I mean, with the hook, you can include a couple comp titles, but that keeps it nice and simple. Yeah. I would imagine for you, if there's too much other information in a query letter, it sort of would take away from the hook and, and the selling points of the story. Yeah, because you have to, again, think of this experience of agents getting hundreds of queries a day. They receive a really long letter. They're just trying to find, you know, where that hook is hidden in the query letter and start with that and to go from there. Um, so these kind of long query letters that include like an entire synopsis of the book or the first chapter I see sometimes inserted in the query letter it really works against authors. It's not in their favor to do that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we're gonna go with our next question, which is from Angela. Hello, Angela. She says, hello, Beth and Mark from the Seacoast. Um, I'm rewriting my debut draft for the sixth time. I feel your pain, Angela. Um, and decided to write in dual timelines and make it a 
a historical piece. Does historical fiction need a sub-genre like mystery or suspense as well? Uh, well, that is hard to say because historical fiction is so wide-reaching in terms of what it does. I mean, look at that Outlander book series, you know. Um, that's like so far afield from what you would think of in terms of like traditional, just straight historical fiction. Um, kudos to you on, you know, repolishing re the book so many times. I think it might, sometimes it can present a challenge writing dual timelines or even dual points of view. Um, but uh, I think it's interesting to see historical fiction that plays in the, how it plays in the present day and, and in the past, kind of like, um, you know, the Indiana Jones movies always drew upon, um, you know, these, this adventurer from the present day, but also he was exploring ancient history and its implications for the present day. Like why did the, these Nazis want to steal this ancient treasure that was so powerful or whatever. And it's the same thing with those national treasure movies or, you know, any, any of those. So um, I think it's interesting when historical fiction works in a present day timeline and, and in, you know, historical timeline, um, it's harder, I think, when you work in, if you, let's say you had a book that was working in World War One and World War Two, those two timelines, that could be a little harder. But um, in terms of his genre for historical fiction, I usually just kind of file it under kind of general fiction, you know, or if it's written for women, it might fit under women's historical fiction. Uh, or just debut fiction. There, there are so many categories, aren't there, <coughs> to choose from. And, and just for our new authors that have joined us, um, I know that when people, are, you know, have their books in Amazon, especially if you're self-published and you, you know, you, you're new to the publishing world, you can pick two, two different categories for your book to go in. Um, however, your categories can actually you can actually ask amazon um to, to have 10 you can actually have your book in 10 different categories so that's super important for authors to know so you you know it's a it's a balance isn't it between having your book in the most popular genres but also having them in more defined genres to catch key readers who are interested in a specific type of story um I must admit, one tool that's been invaluable to me in, in my book marketing and et cetera um, has been Publisher Rocket, which isn't free. You do have to pay for it. But it does allow me to, you know, find the right categories for my books and 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 give you a broader scope, more opportunity to reach more readers mm. as well. Um, so it might be worth having a look at Publisher Rocket um, to see what categories would be applicable to your story and and go from there um you can also have a look and type in other authors with similar books to see what categories they're in mm -hmm. to give you a better idea and you've mentioned that before haven't you mark it is important to have a look at similar books to see what they are doing what what categories they're in how well they're doing how they're being marketed um because even looking at how they're being marketing marketed can help you develop your own great hook and 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 sell your story because you're getting the, the right vibe from books that have been successful. Mm. So there we go. It's it's all trial and error. It's all trial and error. I'm going to quickly do another question from, from our previous show. It, um, it says, what writers' conferences are the most professionally revered and productive in quality? Now, this is a good question for you because you and Robert go on quite a lot. You're very hands-on, aren't you, with the conferences and, and festivals and stuff? Oh, I've been to a, a lot of conferences. I mean, there was a, a point where I was going to one or two a month and I had to slow myself down. Um, but uh, I, I'd say having been to just about every corner of this country in almost every state and seeing all the conferences, um, Writer's Digest has a conference in New York, which is really good because uh, you're basically in the heart of 
New York City where publishing is based. Um, so none of these people have to travel to get to you. Um, and the other one that's really good is the San Francisco Writers Conference is really just, they make it a very nice, fancy top flight event, which attracts a lot of people. They host it in like a four-star hotel and things like that. And so, of course, people want to go and experience that. So it's a big draw for a lot of good people in the industry. And it's a pretty high level of quality that they, they have there. Um, you know, in terms of somewhere kind of in the middle of the country, in Texas, the Writers League of Texas is a really great event. And they're tied in with the university, I think, at Austin there, which um, has a great writing program. And they're involved with the uh, James Missioner Center and all that. And it's run very, very well. Becca Oliver, who runs it, she, you know, had worked in publishing for a time. And so she has a good insider's view of all this. And I, I discovered a, a client there and, you know, sold him in a six-figure deal for a debut. So there's good work coming out of that space. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's pretty much each side of the country in the middle. Um, of course, there are lots of other good events, you know, that come pretty close. Um, in terms of workshops, Iowa is usually the big one, you know, um, there's uh, Breadloaf, Sewanee, you know, some other really fine workshops, but I think those are the good professional conferences, like for covering every kind of fiction and nonfiction. Fantastic. And I know Writers Digest, they do have a fantastic website. They've got a whole community as well. I mean, it's fantastic. They, they're always doing competitions and events and everything else. So I actually subscribe to their newsletter. So I get emails about what they're doing, what competitions they've got coming up, what conferences they've got coming up. So it's all about getting the right information. And, and now with email and notifications, you can, you know, go on people's websites and these event websites and sign up for future information, um, which is invaluable. And I also think it's quite important if people can do it, to go to relevant conferences for your genre as well, because you will, you know, any information you receive from going to any type of conference, especially if it's, you know, for historical fiction or science fiction or whatever, you're going to meet new people, gain lots of new information, possibly make great connections with people who also do events, etc. cetera. Um, and it's a great way of, of getting known as well. I think so let's hope with the oh, once everybody's had COVID because I think everybody's going to get it eventually hopefully we might get to some you know back to some sort of normality and people can start actually going to all these events and everything again which would be fantastic okay we've got another question come up from Adam Adam you're next Adam says Mark you once said that you can see from the first sentence in the query letter um will give it a chance or you will pass that query. So I will use this chance to inspect my first sentence in my query letter with you for my nonfiction novel in a series that starts with Catholic Church is hiding that the third secret Fatima and Marian apparitions in general reveal that humanity by losing faith in God will lose protection of friendly aliens that solar system will be faced with an invasion. That is a big mouthful and a big sentence. Well, I mean, um, so just to answer the first part of the question, um, you know, there's sort of a caveat with this, you know, saying that the first sentence in the query letter will give me a sense of whether I'll pass on it or not. Depends on what the first sentence is. Right. Yeah, it's that hook, isn't it? It's does right. it. If that's up front, then I, I will can can know better. If I have to dig through the letter, you know, it's a different matter. But I think a you know a well written hook up front in the query letter, yeah, can make or, or break a book. Um, I think what will help the the hook here, you know, the quick pitch, the hook that um, Adam shared is just just shortening it a little bit. 
Um, Like you said, um, there is a good way to make it punchier and just to save some of these details for the rest of the letter. You know, just something like the Catholic Church is hiding, uh, you know, the secret that, you know, maybe apparitions and gen apparitions reveal that, uh, you know, humanity losing faith in God. It could actually be a fantastic hook. As as I said before, I always tell my clients to look at movie trailers because they always do um, fantastic hooks, which are short, sharp, and sweet. So I agree. I mean, Catholic Church is hiding the third secret. Losing faith in God will lose protection of friendly aliens. You know, it's short, sharp sentences because to me, a hook shouldn't be really more than three sentences long and it should be dramatic and really catching. Um, so it's picking out those key elements and using those as your as your sales pitch, basically, isn't it? Hmm. But I do like that, Adam. It, sound, it does sound intriguing, I have to say. But I do, I'm, I'm always shortening my clients' blurbs and hooks. And they'll send me, bless them, they'll send me like massive long ones. And I will literally just pick out key elements and go, okay, five sentences long or, you know, if it's a a book blurb, short, sharp. If it's a hook, two to three. And it's just dramatic. It is always dramatic. Um, Let's have a look. Next question. We've got Patty. Patty's next. She says, hi, it's nice to see you. You represent my friend, Bruce Warden, lucky man. I have had four traditionally published history books, but I'm now writing kids' books with neurodiverse characters. Should I mention the history books in queries? Thank you very much. Good question, Patty. Yeah, good to, to meet you. Um, same name as the punk rocker, Patty Smith. That's right. <laughs> um so yeah, and Bruce is a client. He's been fun to work with. We've we uh, have a book uh, we did together. I actually have a copy over there. It's um, called uh, it, it's a book of homophones that uh, Chronicle Books published. And so basically, they're words that sound uh, sound the same or similar, very similar, but they're spelled in different ways and they mean different things. Or sometimes they're spelled the same way but they mean different things. So the word you know write and right like to the direction right or you know correct you know things like that so it was a fun book um i think it can't hurt to mention the traditionally published books and the publishers who published them you know obviously since it's going to be it sounds like it's going to be a now fiction books for kids you know publishers will take a different view of it you know it's going to be apples and oranges so even in the the reverse if you were a fiction author and you're trying your hand at nonfiction. They're not really going to hold it against you one way or the other, you know, whether the sales were good or bad or that they were with the big publishers or not. I mean, obviously, it, it could help a little bit, but they're, to the publishers, they're apples and oranges, right? They're, they're very different things. So that's why I think it can't hurt to mention. Yeah. Good answer. Okay, let's have a look. I'm going to pick another question from our previous, previous show. If a query letter doesn't contain comparative titles, is that a deal breaker? Not necessarily. I mean, eventually we'll want to put them together, but it makes the agents work probably a lot easier, you know, because eventually they want to put that kind of information together for a publisher. Uh, So, and I think it's good for writers to know that about their work too, to have that information readily available at least, you know, it's, it's, any, it's all in service of, of the writer. It's it's going to benefit them ultimately. So I think it's worth doing if you can. But if you don't, it's not the end of the world. I'm going to ask you a follow-up question. Have you ever been in the situation where you've had a query letter, they've given you comparative titles, but then you've read the sample chapters and you thought, that is nothing like what they compared oh, it to? all the time. <laughs> All the time, which is why, you know, you need to make a good comparison. Um, there was one time where there was like six different comparative titles and 
they were all over the place. And some of them were like movies, some of them were TV shows, some of them were books, some of them were really old, like written, you know, 50 years ago or something. And I was like, I didn't even know where to begin. So so from your point of view, if an if a new author um can't put their finger on good comparative titles, is they're it probably, better? yeah, they're better off than not doing, Just not it. doing it. Or if they can, you know, sometimes it's hard to it's hard to understand, you know, it's hard to just look in the mirror and know that, like about one's work. It's just sometimes appealing to to friends or other, you know, writers or people who've read your work to kind of get their opinion can help. But uh, the main goal is to just hold yourself in high esteem. You want to compare to books that were recent bestsellers published within the last five years of the reading age and genre. That's mm -hmm. it. And show that there's a market. That's the thing, isn't it? If you're if you're picking good comparisons to your books, comparisons that are, have been successful and that have sold well, then you're you're instantly giving the impression there is a market for my work. Mm -hmm. Okay, we've got another question from Adam. He says, similar question. Imagine that you are in your office reading queries concerning the present geopolitical situation in the world. Would you take in consideration a query that starts with Marian operations reveal that Russia will suddenly attack on a global scale and conquer the great part of the free world? Additional question is what is the spirit of big publishers in messing with titles that deal with present geopolitical hot potatoes? Are they afraid to provoke anybody in the world? Well, maybe I'll just start with the second part of this question, which is addition, the additional question. It's, so the spirit of big publishers messing with titles that deal with present geopolitical hot potatoes, are they afraid to prove any anybody in the world? Okay. Yeah, there are books that tie into to world issues. There is a book I sold Descriptor recently in a six-figure deal. It was made deal of the day on Publishers Marketplace. The deal announcement ran in. PW, and it's about these two black transient punks coming of age amidst the Black Lives Matter movement. They're in San Francisco, but you know there's a, a murder at the hands of the police, and you know deeply upsets them. Kind of just rocks their world, and so obviously that's a book that ties into you know what's going on in the world now. Um, in other cases, sometimes publishers just don't want to touch political issues sometimes depends on the type of publisher but um i think books that are timely and speak to issues can be interesting with that being said you know most publishers are pretty left-leaning you know they're very democratically minded and so you know if there's a book you know a fiction book praising you know the alcohol tobacco firearms lobby or something like that you know it's not going to excite a publisher in the same way as, you know, a social issue that the left is, is more concerned with. Now that's just a general kind of thing. You know, there are publishers, like we call them conservative publishers who sometimes interested in other issues, but for the most part, um, some of that stuff will, yeah, turn publishers off if it's, mm -hmm not within their worldview. I suppose um, it also depends as well, whether it's um, a book in relation to somebody's personal experience or knowledge or, you know, real life, or whether it's completely fictional as well. I would imagine that would make a big difference in whether publishers are interested as well. Because if it's a complete fictional story, that's going to have, you know, that there's less that can go wrong, isn't there really? But whether, but when it's something that's um, from somebody's personal experience or something that's actually happened, you then get to, into the whole minefield of being factually correct and mm -hmm. having all your ducks in a row. So, because if somebody, if somebody knows it's from, you know, if it's, if somebody knows it's, it's factual, people will fact check. Mm. So it has to stand up to that scrutiny as well doesn't it mm. yeah and just just in regard to this first part just you know 
as a pro professional courtesy to everyone else, you know, so that people can just take in information and not feel like this is just about pitching their work. If people want after this event, they can always query me, you know, via our website. There's a submissions form there. I think it's tridentmediagroup.com forward slash submission. So just save all the pitches for, for that if you want. Or maybe another time we could do one of these where we just workshop hooks and query. I'm happy to do that. But that I think would be fantastic. So we can get to other people's questions and, you know. Agreed. Agreed. I think that would be a fantastic idea because, you know, it, it is um, it's tough, isn't it? People do stress over their query letter, especially trying to sell their own work. So we will we will arrange um, a special witty writer show all about your hooks and blurbs and what would make a great impact first sentence. All right. So I will save all these for for that show. Um, we've got a fantastic question from Pat uh, sorry, Priscilla. Welcome, Priscilla. She says, who buys the most books? What are the demographics? Ooh, oh, gosh. That's a, that's a big question. Yeah, that's so hard to, to just put your finger on. But basically, first of all, most people who read are women, uh, vast majority. And it's, you know, the same, the people who work in the publishing industry, also mostly women. Um, you know, from there, you know, it's hard to say what the any one particular audience is. But if you kind of use that as a general rule of thumb, ideally, you're in better shape if your protagonist is female or your book in some way will largely appeal to women. Um, I always say that's a, a really big thing. Um, it's sort of like why, like in the theater world, it really appeals to the LGBTQ, you know, T uh, community because mm -hmm. there are so many people like that operating in that world, interested in that world. And so no wonder a lot of the plays on Broadway deal with LGBTQ issues. Um, so yeah, I would say the biggest demographic is women. And and what about genres? Which genre markets would you say are the biggest right now? Oh, after that, you know, fiction is much tends to be much bigger than nonfiction on the whole. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, usually general fiction, thrillers, mystery crime novels, uh, and women's fiction or romance sometimes. Um, those sometimes those terms get mixed up. They're not exactly interchangeable, but those are the really big ones. Mm. Um, you know, there are some big genres in kids books and graphic novels, but in the world of fiction, those are the big ones. Science fiction and fantasy has always kind of struggled to, to have an audience. It's like with that genre, it's kind of like one big book or series emerges out of like a sea of other kinds of books. And it's been very, very hard over the years just because among publishers, there's really only one imprint at each publishing house that buys science fiction and fantasy. So it's kind of like threading a needle, whereas a book that can work on a lot of different levels, like it's a thriller, but it's also women's fiction, but it also has mystery crime elements to it. Like you could submit a book like that to different editors, different mm. imprints at publishing houses. And get more options. <coughs> uh, Priscilla, um, yeah, Priscilla says, who buys the most fiction oh, books? Right. Oh, right. We looked at that, right? So you um, think it's definitely... Oh, fiction books. Yeah, mm -hmm. similar answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Similar question, similar answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Again, mostly women. Um you know, it's hard to say the, the age range or what. I mean, for a very long time, the baby boomer audience was a very big audience. Um, you know, um, I think a lot of these books that sell phenomenally well are, you know, books that end up in, in book clubs or Oprah's hands, like, you know, her kind of audience from her book club. Um, churchgoers you know if the church says this is the book we're all going to be reading you know especially if they're 
a mega church or something like that. That that helps a lot. Um, but yeah, I just on the whole, women are the main. Readers. And women talk. Women are more likely to recommend stuff to their friends than men. Yeah, I think men actually. So men actually read a lot more nonfiction. Oddly yeah. enough, it's kind of like in a man's mind, it you would almost think it was like they were thinking what's the solution to this problem I have? This book is going to help me figure out how to do X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Whereas uh, women are more tend to be interested in uh, personal, personal growth going on a journey which a story takes them on. And that by the end of it, they feel like they've come to know these characters and grow with them. Now, of course there are exceptions to the rule each way, but on the whole, that's what we see in people's buying habits. It's amazing, isn't it? A, a, a lot of the men that I know in my family and friend group, um, they read a lot of biographies and memoirs of people they admire. And, and you're right, you know, self-improvements, um, books about the business that they're in, how to be more successful, et cetera, et cetera. Um, me, I just love fantasy. I love being taken away to a completely different world and a bit of escapism. <laughs> Mm. Um, we've also got a very good question from Vikram. He says, hey, Mark, we really appreciate your time. Trident has a lot of highly qualified literary agents. If an author gets rejected by one agent within the group, is it worth querying another one right away? Now, that's a very good question because I do get asked that a lot. Uh, I think the submission policy is listed on our website and people should just always read the submission policy anyway when submitting to a, a site too often people just fill out a form click agree to terms and conditions and then submit it but yeah read the fine print you know it says um i think it's something like 30 days if you hear from us within that time we're interested if you don't you, you know it usually equates with a pass but at that point yeah after that point you can query other people at trident before then the website will automatically block any query that comes in you know if you're trying to submit multiple multiples of a submission to agents across the agency it just saves us a lot of time and effort yeah and uh yeah i mean it doesn't necessarily preclude you from working with a, another agent at the agency but i will say usually if i can see promise in someone's work even if it's not for me i'll usually recommend it to a colleague um so Sometimes it's better to just go with that, but you can always query again after that 30 day period. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, you know, sometimes it, you know, if you've, if an author has been querying and they're not getting any interest, you know, sometimes it's worth reevaluating your query letter and, and find that a new hook, you know, and a better description of your story um, because you might not be selling it. You know, you might well, not be doing it justice. I really agree with that sentiment. I think the most important thing people can get from that is if you experience any level of rejection or you feel that, just feel that way for some reason, it's not that people are saying you're not good. You should not feel, oh, I'm not good. You should feel I'm not good enough, at least not yet. What do I have to do to be good enough? You know, that's the right sentiment to to take with that. Yeah. And also, and this is something we've touched on before, as an author who's querying, I don't know what books you've just signed. I don't know what books you've just got coming out that's going to be released. And you might have something that's a bit too similar to what I'm pitching you at that time. Oh, yeah. So you're not able to take it, what I'm offering you because you're going to have to put all your time, effort, and energy. There's a multitude, a multitude of reasons why. I mean, there was an editor I once submitted a book to. She had some kind of trauma in her life that the book was reminding her of, and she simply couldn't read it for that reason. She had some kind of personal trauma, and, you know, you can't argue with that. So yeah, it's, so it's, that's why it's a subjective business, yeah. Yeah, and don't give up. At the end of the day, you know, try – if it doesn't work out, reassess what you're doing, change it up, um, and then give yourself a bit of time and then try again. Because you never know. There are plenty of authors, very famous, well-known authors, 
that were rejected numerous times for numerous works. And then all of a sudden they found the right agent, the right publishing company. And then not only was their book published, but their backlist was re reintroduced as well. So you, you just never know. You just never know. I think we might get a couple more questions in before we run out of time. So let's have a look. Okay, Travis has got a good one. Hello, Travis. He said, thanks again for answering these, Mark. I also wanted to ask about word counts. I know it may seem a little nitpicky, but I read an interview you gave to Ooh. Writer's Digest a while back saying that literary fiction pieces should be in the range of 80 to 90K words, plus or minus 5K. Given there are a handful of classics in the given genre in the 50 to 60 word range, like Gatsby or The Sun Also Rises, how much weight should an author trying to sell a 70K word book, for instance, put on the question of word count? Well, cars were also made a long time ago without seatbelts and airbags. Should cars be made now with it without seatbelts and airbags? Like, I think just because books were written one way a hundred years ago, you know, it was popular to have a 50, 60,000 word book. Doesn't mean it necessarily works well for today or really makes sense for today. But generally speaking, yeah, for fiction, 80 to 120,000 words is normal word count range. For nonfiction, it's the same. I tend to find the sweet spot is really that 80 to 90,000 words. It's just for the publisher's pricing on the book and everything, it, you know, it makes it a crisp enough read and also helps the, you know, the pricing of the book from a publisher's cost standpoint. Um, but even with that said, you can go five, 10,000 words outside of that and still be fine. And, you know, rules are meant to be bent and in some cases <laughs> broken, especially I think when it comes to literary fiction, a lot of people like to take so many liberties. But what happens is with very short books, like 50,000 word books, novellas, basically, the publisher's margin for profit is so small that they can't make their numbers work, you know? And it becomes the opposite problem if the book's too long. The book's too expensive then, both for the customer and the publisher to produce, not to mention translate, make into an audiobook. It, gets, it presents challenges. There are so many factors, aren't there? That, and that's the thing, you know, we see it from our writing point of view, but you, you're seeing everything from a business point of view. Yeah, it's, it's like when songs, songs that wanted to get radio play, you know, they would always encourage them to be like a minute and a half or whatever it was, two and a half minutes. Um, Led Zeppelin faced a lot of challenges early on because they were, they refused. They wanted, you know, Stairway to, uh, to Heaven to be like a 12 minute song or whatever it is. And yeah, Queen and Bohemian Rhapsody was another one. Of course, they were always going to be, you know, artists, books, songs, whatever that break the rules. But generally speaking, you'll have a lot less resistance on the road. It'll be a lot less bumpy, you know, if you adhere to this stuff. Yeah. And once you're a well-known author, you have a bit more sway. <laughs> you can get away with have, being out of the box, can't you? Unfortunately, we have run out of time, Mark. You've been so fantastic answering everybody's questions. Um, for those of you who have asked a question that we haven't got to, don't worry, because I am trying to keep tabs. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to do another Q&A fairly soon so we can get some more questions in because we've had some really, really good questions. They've been amazing. Um, we will try and set up um, a special Witty Writers show specifically to do with pitches and hooks and, mm. and having the right first sentence to grab an agent's attention. Um, so we will arrange that and, uh, and keep you posted. In the meantime, please like and subscribe and click on the notification button. That way you will get notified of our upcoming events and shows. Mark, thank you so much thank you. for being with us today. I truly appreciate you. And, um, and I can't wait for us to do it again because we always learn something new. It's fantastic. Great. I had so much fun. I'm glad everyone feels good. Well, thank you, darling. I will put, um, I think I've already got most of the links in, in the comments and uh, uh, below the video. Um, but I'll also put the submission 
link on there as well for you. Oh, thank you. But thank you so much, darling. I truly appreciate your time, as I'm sure everybody else does. It was a pleasure. And we will see you all next time on the Witty Writers Show. Bye for now. Bye-bye.